Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Well, amen. I got to tell you, there is no place that I would rather be. I don't care what's... Well, I don't care what's going on out in the world and what uh, virus is out there. Um, you know what? There's no place like being in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, last week, I've been telling everyone this week that last Sunday was the best worst day I've ever had. <laughs> Have you guys ever had a bad day? All right. And did it revolve around work? Yeah, and so last Sunday, I had a, a bad day. But when I look on it, it was the best worst day I've ever had. Here's why. Um, I woke up, and uh, I was going about my day, and um, I have an alarm that goes off at 9.13, because I have a staff meeting at 9.15 on Sunday mornings. That alarm went off at 9.13, and I'm still at my house. Yeah, and like I, I tell my staff, you got to be there on time, every time, no excuse. There's a thousand reasons why you can't make it there. None of them are good enough. All right, so I knew I was going to hear that. And so I sent a quick text out, hey, we're going to uh, pivot and we're going to meet at, at 930. Then I walk in the building and the first words I hear are, the baptistry's empty. And um, I thought, well, you know, and then I heard it takes four hours to fill it up. And I, I thought, well, you know what, we'll fill it up, and I'll just push him down far enough so that, it, that he gets submerged. And uh, what happened was it filled up very quickly. It filled up within an hour. Um, and I shared with you last week that I found out why they needed four hours. That was to warm the water up. And, and so I am confident that Xavier's salvation is secure if uh, you can get baptized in that cold of water, and, uh, you know, you're going to heaven. Well... Um, not only that, but I don't know if you know this, but we had new lighting installed. And when we got here last week, none of it was working. And not only that, but did some of y'all feel like you were in the dark while I was preaching last week? And it had nothing to do with my preaching? It was because the lights didn't change when uh, we wanted it to. And so I could go on and on and tell you, but you know what? That was a phenomenal day. I got to baptize a young man. The night before, as I was going to bed and um, putting down uh, one of my grandsons, and uh, one of the things I do with him is uh, we, we sing some songs, and then I ask him, I said, who loves you? And he says, Pops loves me. Amen. And I said, who else loves you? He goes, Nana loves me. Amen. I said, who else loves you? And he goes, Mom loves me. And I said, who else loves you? My dad loves me. Then his brother, and then his aunt and uncle, and he just goes through a list. And when he ran out, I said, you know who else loves you? He looks at me. I said, God loves you. And he got up and he, I mean, he got like six inches from my face. And he says, Where's God? Amen. And so I tried to explain to a four-year-old in my deepest theological three-year-old in my deepest theological uh, way uh, where God and why he was in heaven and how that he's here and everywhere. 
You know, that's a great day, isn't it? To be able to have a conversation like that. Well, here we are today in week number two of I Love This Place. And church, I'm here to tell you I love this place. Amen. Um, last week, I shared with you about uh, my church. And uh, this week, um, I want to continue the, the thought of embracing your identity with Christ. And, and one thing I want to point out to you is when I talk about embracing your identity with Christ, what I'm referring to is right where you are at right now. Because a lot of us, we think our, our identity is next week. We think our identity is next year. We think our identity is what we want to become. And the reality is your identity is right where you are at this moment today. And as Christians, we need to be able to embrace that identity in Christ because whether you're on the mountaintop, whether you're on the dip, whether you're having the best worst day or the worst worst day you've ever had in your life, you need to be able to embrace that identity right where you're at. And so this week, I take us to the next level. And last week, we talked about my church. But this week, what I want to do is I want to talk about my community. And so you can see, I, this is not how I normally dress for uh, preaching, but I couldn't uh, resist uh, embracing my community. And so um, I'm representing Centralia today. And so, uh, you know, because Centralia is our community. It's part of our community. But here's the reality when we talk about our community, and that's this. Our community is outside of these walls. Well, that's where it gets quiet. Our community is outside these walls. Now, there's community that happens inside these walls, but the vast majority, the 165 hours that we spend, are outside off of this campus, and that's where our community is. And I'm going to share with you, through Jesus' own words and his own example, what are we supposed to do when we get out into community? So if you uh, have your Bibles, I would turn to John chapter 4. If you are here today and you don't own a copy of God's Word, there are Bibles right in front of you. And if you pull one of those out and you open up the front cover, it will, it's a message there. It says, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, please take this one. This is free, so don't feel like you're stealing from the church. You're not. We're giving this to you. If you happen to grab one of those Bibles, uh, you turn to page 1090 and you will find yourself at John chapter 4. And let me just read uh, verses 3 and 4 to you, and it says this. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, what you may not know about, but getting from Judea over to Galilee, the shortest distance if you're walking is probably um, a six-day trip. And if you went from the furthest part of Judea to the furthest part of Galilee, it's about 20 days. And so, you know, we don't know exactly where Jesus was at, but we know that he had to go through Samaria. And at a minimum, that was a multi-day trip. I put a little map together for you, and I'll kind of show you this. And, and you can see that red arrow, that's Judea, that, that area, that tan area. And then above that, there's a little bit of orange area, that's Galilee. And right in the middle of it is Samaria. And so it said that Jesus had to go through that. Now, I just want to point something out to you. That normally Jews did not go through Samaria. They went around it. They'd literally cross over the river, go up the other side, and then cross back over the river to get into Galilee. And the reason why is they didn't like the people that lived in Samaria. And verse 5 says this. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. 
Now, Sychar's right about halfway in the central point of Samaria. In verse 6, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, how many days minimum would it take you to get through Samaria? Six, six days. All right, you guys are fast learners. I like this. Um, and at a minimum, it would take him six days to get through, so he's probably three days into this journey to get to Sychar. And it says in verse 6, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And what that means is it was noontime. So uh, on a Jewish calendar, the first hour was 6 a.m., the sixth hour was noon, and then if they said evening, it was talking about 6 p.m. in the evening. In verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Verse 8 tells us and kind of explains, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, here's what I want to just share with you, what, what Jesus revealed to us. And that is when we're out in our community, there's some things that we don't do and there's some things that we do do. And so let me first share with you the things that we don't do. And the first thing is that when we go out into our community, we need to be careful because as Christians, we have a reputation for arguing with people. If you go back and listen to some sermons, I've shared with you some of the um, statistics and some of the words when people would describe Christians, and it wasn't very flattering words. And so there's three things that we learn from Jesus that when we're in our community, we shouldn't argue, and he, he demonstrated this for us. And the first one we find in verse 9, and we should not argue race when we're out in our community. Let me show you what Jesus did. In verse 9, it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And the Bible explains it, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, most of us don't understand what's going on here. Because when we hear the word Samaritan, all we think about is the good Samaritan. And if you talk to any Jew that lived in the time of Jesus, they never met one. Matter of fact, they called the Samaritans the dogs. They, I mean, they went out of their way multiple days so they didn't have to walk through and get close to these Samaritans. Well, what's interesting is, this is readily information out there for you, um, but if you looked at the DNA of Samaritans, it is very similar. Matter of fact, when they look at DNA, they look at the mother side and they look at the father's side and when you look at the mother side of the samaritans that you'll find that they had a very strong jewish and samaritan and then east african flavor but when they study the y chromosome which is where you get from the father it's distinctly jewish and here's where the samaritans came from jewish priests married outside of the jewish family Many believe that this happened about the time of one of the, um, uh, when Assyria came in and, and took the Jewish nation captive. And not everybody got pulled away. They left some. And so uh, many of these were some of the priests, the older priests. And, and they married, and there, there wasn't any Jewish women, and so they married outside of that. And that is where the Jewish family came from, or the, the Samaritan family came from. And now as um, Israel was repopulated, there was these people that they didn't want to have anything to do with. 
the Samaritans. Now, if you have been around Bible any time, you know that the Jews were told not to marry outside of the Jewish family. And there's a very important reason for this. It had nothing to do with that the other um, nationalities were bad. The reason why was because the seed of Jesus was going to come through the Jewish nation. And that's why they had to stay within the Jewish family. Because um, Jesus was going to be brought into the world. He was going to be delivered and he was going to pay for the sins of the world. Well, there's a, a couple of years ago, matter of fact, in the 80s, they started this project. It's called the Human Genome Project. And here's what we find out. The in, it's this very interesting. The DNA differences in the billions of DNA letters in the nucleus are easily explicable from two people in the last 6,000 years. I, that's not me saying that. This is this human genome project that they now... Um, they have identified that, you know, we can trace back to a, a single mom and dad. I know their names. Adam and Eve. And what's interesting is if you study the data that they said that about 1,500 years into before this, there was a um, bottleneck where there was a single mom and dad. And it was Noah and his wife. And then it spread back out again. And I just want to tell you this, Christians, we should be on the front lines when it comes to the racial issues in our country. We shouldn't be arguing. Matter of fact, I, and here's, let me just give you a great example of this. Uh, Jermaine and I were at lunch, and there was a couple of us there, and I made a statement that when I was in Afghanistan, that I felt like the prejudice, the racism that existed over there didn't touch what we have here in America. And when I said that, uh, Jermaine's eyes perked up and he goes, really? And, and, and I'm convinced of this. But here's what happens. When we get out into the community and we start having this conversation about race, we have the conversation from our perspective. And I hate to tell you this, folks, but there's another perspective. Matter of fact, there's two sides to every pancake. And it don't matter which side I flip it on. It tastes good if I put syrup on it. And, and we as Christians, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the cause of Christ. And we owe it to our neighbors. We owe it to our community. To consider that we have the same parents. We all came from the same location. And one day, if you've accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, we're all going to be in the same location again. Well... I like technology, you probably know this, and so I couldn't resist, um, and I, I, I got swooped up in this 23andMe thing, and this is where you give your DNA away, and they, they tell you about all your relatives, and I found this very interesting um, that on, if, and this is everybody's 23andMe, it says that everybody can be traced back to a single woman who lived in Eastern Africa between 150,000 and 200,000 years ago. Well, they got one part of that right. And so, church, we owe it to our community not to argue race. And, and here's why. Because it doesn't matter what race we come from. It doesn't matter what you perceive, the way that we, we are as a country. 
Because I promise you that when, when you meet St. Peter at that pearly gate, he's probably not going to ask any of those questions. And this is a device of the enemy to keep us from having a relationship. Because without a relationship, we'll never have conversation. Not only do we not want to argue race, but the second thing that Jesus taught us was not to argue reason. Verse 11, it says this, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water. And the well's deep. Where do you get that living water he talked about? And I just want to share with you that if you fall into the trap of trying to explain things that people throw at you and the questions that they'll come to you, especially when they find out that you're a Christian and a bold one, for example, um, this is one that you hear all the time. How can God be real with all the evil that's out there? I'm just saying, you don't want to meet the God that would keep that evil from happening because that, he destroyed the earth. And, and unfortunately, one day he's going to do it again. And they don't want to hear that. We're getting all excited about uh, COVID-19. And there's something a lot worse coming. Uh, there's a bunch of somethings coming. And it's going to get so bad that people are going to wish that mountains would fall on them. And it's not because there's no toilet paper at Walmart. <laughs> or dude wipes. Another thing that you're going to find out that, that's going to be missing or when you try to have conversations, people are going to come up to you and they want to have the evolution versus creation conversation. Folks, don't go there. It's not that I don't believe in creation, but here's the reality that whoever you talk to, they've had 20 plus years of education on nothing but evolution. Folks, I, don't, I won't give an inch on that, but here's what I realize is, number one, if they believe in creation or not, it's not going to get them into heaven. I'd rather get that taken care of, and then we can sort the other stuff out. You'll find out that um, people will quote science. And what they will tell you is that, uh, matter of fact, science, you go into literature, and you go back uh, 50 years ago, and it says that hundreds of thousands of years ago, much like what I just read to you, is when the earth was created. Well, then they found some evidence that went against that, and then the books changed to say millions and millions of years ago. Now, if you look at your kid's Science books in school, it says billions and billions of years ago. Folks, don't argue that. I don't have to convince somebody that the, the earth was created 6,000 years ago or 6 million or 6 billion. What I do have to convince them of is that one day they're going to stop taking a breath. And when that happens, they're going to enter into eternity. A lot of us as Christians, and I'm guilty of using this when I was younger, we use Pascal's Wager. And Pascal's Wager says this, If I'm right, and you're wrong, look at the consequences. If I'm right, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven, and you're going to spend eternity in hell. Or if you're right, well, I just spent 80 years here living like a good person. I'm, I'm just here to tell you, nobody is going to ask Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior because of that argument. How about this one? If God can do anything, can he create a rock so big that even he cannot lift it? I heard a comedian answer that question. He said, if he could, I wish he would put it right above your head. That's how we argue as Christians, right? But Jesus taught us don't argue. Don't argue about race. Don't argue about reason. 
And the third thing that Jesus taught us was not to argue about religion. In verse 20, the woman said, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus didn't take the bait. I want you to understand something, that it is easy for us as Christians to get our doctrine confused with dogma. All right, so when I talk about doctrine, and a lot of times we'll talk about different levels of doctrine, and I'm okay with that, but let me just break it down the way that St. Augustine did. And he, what he talked about was there's an essential doctrine, and for me, essential doctrine is this, is it going to affect heaven and hell for somebody? That's an essential doctrine. Was Jesus the Son of God? Essential doctrine. Did Jesus live a perfect life? Essential doctrine. Was he born of a virgin? Essential doctrine. Did he die on the cross? Essential doctrine. Was he raised three days later? Essential doctrine. Was it his blood that paid for my sins? That's an essential doctrine. But then there's some non-essentials. Those essential doctrines, that's the foundation. And then what happens is we come, up, come to some non-essentials, and non-essentials is what the rest of the building is built on. And you know what they build out of non-essentials? Walls. They put walls up. And, and so now, when these non-essentials come up, now you have different denominations. And then after the non-essentials, you have all other things. And so St. Augustine said it this way, In essentials, we will strive for unity. In the non-essentials, we will strive for liberty. And in all these other things, we're going to strive for charity. And church, I will tell you, when we go out into the community and we have conversations, not arguments, we need to look for unity amongst ourselves on the essential doctrines. We need to have liberty and allow people to have a different way that they look at that verse because it's not going to send anybody to hell. And then on everything else, we just need to have charity. We need to love people. One of the two greatest commandments. And if you think I'm making this stuff up and I'm just a really good preacher and I can take things and move them around, I, I want you to turn to Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. And this is what the verse says. It says, because it answers these three don't argue things. It says, but avoid foolish questions. That's reason. That's when people try to stump you. When they ask you silly things. And genealogies. That's race. And contentions and strivings about the law. That's religion. Why? For they're unprofitable and they're worthless. Don't take the bait. Okay, well, if I just took away the three best things to talk about, what should we talk about? Well, let's see what Jesus did. And what Jesus did, he just talked. He created a conversation. And the conversation that he created was two-way. See, if, if, you're not having a, if you think it's a conversation and you're talking and all they're saying is yes or nodding, it's not a conversation. A conversation happens when you say things, they ask questions, uh, they say things, you ask questions, it's two-way. And here's what Jesus did. The first thing that Jesus talked about was abundant life. Go to verse 10 in chapter 4 of John. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And I'm here to tell you that if you want to talk about a, have a conversation starter, talk about abundant living. Now, after everybody beats themselves up and talks about how hard their life is, every one of us has a desire to live an abundant life. We want to live a life that has an effect on other people. We want to live a life that's blessing. To, and I'm telling you, the people that aren't in church, that don't go to church, have never gone to church. 
There are people who have never stepped a foot in the building of God and they live a better life than most of us that claim the name of Christ. But that is not going to give them abundant life. And so that's the first conversation is talk about abundant life. And if, if that works out, then I would go to Jesus' next line, and that was to talk about eternal life. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Folks, that's a good conversation to have. I'm willing to talk about that. I'm willing to to talk to the most ardent atheist and and have that conversation about eternal life. Is it a possibility or not? Because every one of us, in our DNA, God has put the desire for life. You look at anybody who's on their deathbed, and they know that their time is short, and yet God has given them that desire for life. Just one more day, one more minute, one more chance to reach out to my grandkids, my children, my wife, my husband. See, God's put eternal life into our hearts. That's a great conversation starter. Well, another thing that Jesus talked about, and I know this is going to blow your mind, but Jesus did this. Jesus talked about sin. You talk about things that make you go, hmm. And and unfortunately, we as Christians, we like talking about sin. The problem is we like talking about their sin. We don't like talking about our sin. You know, we like to tell them that you're wrong, you're dying and going to hell. And then when they talk about gluttony, we're like, stop. Cease. Peace be still. Leave the donuts alone. Let's see how Jesus engaged this. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. Verse 18. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have is now not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. And these were words of wisdom. Sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. Now, I just want to point something out to you. If your name isn't Jesus, I would not be pointing out people's sins to them. This is just a pointer, okay? Because if you do, you'll end up in the arguing. It's no longer a conversation. And if you want to talk about any kind of sin, talk about yours. And tell them about where you came from. Because that becomes your story. That becomes your testimony. And what you'll find out is, number one, if you talk about your sin, they'll probably look at you a little different because they're not used to Christians talking about their sin. They're used to the Christians telling them what not to do and what to hate and how much to hate it. Well, if you can get past that conversation on sin... And you'll be amazed at where it goes if you'll do it in a spirit of meekness. If you'll do it with a little bit of authenticity and honesty. You know, I, I love being a part of a group on Sunday nights where men can talk about that. And what's really interesting is that, that we can challenge each other. Hey, how are you doing on this sin? And that brother doesn't get offended, he doesn't get mad, he doesn't get off the call, he doesn't disassociate. 
He answers the question. And what's really interesting, every time this has come up, I hear this after it's all, thank you. And I think that you'll find out that when you start having conversations and you allow the conversation to go in this area and you're open and honest, you'll find out that somebody at the end of that conversation is going to say to you, thank you. Thank you for, for not telling me how bad I am. Because you know what? Their spirit already tells them that. The enemy already tells them that. The world has already told them that. Jesus didn't come to say that. Jesus came and he died for that so that one day they wouldn't have to. Well, the next thing that Jesus talked about was having a relationship with God. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And the reality is this, that when you see the word worship, it's really talking about relationship. This morning when we were singing, I saw a lot of people in relationship. I saw you worshiping. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. What he's saying is you're in a relationship and you don't even know who's on the other end of that relationship. He says, we worship what we know for salvation comes from the Jews. Now, Jesus wasn't trying to argue race. What he was trying to say is that it is because of the Jewish line that Jesus would come through that the salvation of the world was possible. And a lot of times in the church, we get that messed up. And, and we, start, we take that belief that the, the Jewish nation was told to, to marry within the Jewish nation, and we think that we can't marry outside the Baptist denomination. We think that we can't marry outside of the race that we're in. We think that we can't marry outside of whatever wall that we've built up on that foundation that Christ laid. And folks, we're wrong when we do that. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, those in true relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. See, we got the, we got the stranglehold on the truth. And what we really need is to add the spirit. Because that will change the way that we worship. Listen to this. For God the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Just talk. Just have a conversation. If it's not abundant life, if it's not eternal life, if you can't go there about sin, if you can't talk about a relationship with God, there's one surefire way that you can do this and you'll win. Verse 25 talks about, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. This is the Samaritans. These are the people who have uh, broken away from the Jewish, but yet they still knew that the Messiah was coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus told us that if I be lifted up, Jesus Christ, I will draw all men to me. And if you don't know how to have the conversation, if all you do is talk about Jesus. Because that's the only thing that's important. See, that's what separates religions. There's those who believe in Jesus Christ and who he is and what the Bible has told us and all the others that don't. And they've just found a different way to do it. And so let me just share with you three points about your community that you need to be aware of. And that's this. Number one is your community may never, ever put their foot inside this building. That's reality. Number two, that what's happening inside this building is not enough. 
for the community. And so that's okay if they don't make it here. But we don't have enough room for our entire community. And we're not ready to go to 10 services to do that. We can build on. We can build on. But here's what Jesus taught us. This is number three. Let's start meeting the people where they're at. Let's start meeting them out at the well. Let's start meeting them over at Walmart once this thing gets over with. Let's start meeting them around a bottle of hand sanitizer. Let's start meeting them right where they're at. Physically and spiritually. And when we start meeting them right where they're at, you'll find out that they'll lower the wall that they built up and have a conversation like this. At that point, the woman goes back into the town and and she decides to bring all of the people back with her. And Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And the disciples are like, man, what's going on here? Where, you know, who fed him? Because like, Jesus is telling him, I'm good. I don't need anything. And the disciples are a bit perplexed. And so in verse 35 of John chapter 4, it says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, do you not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest? That was an easy question. It'd almost be like saying right now, do you, you realize that, I mean, these fields are going to be filled. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. And at that moment, and this is a, a wise Bible teacher shared, when he told them to lift up their eyes, and that was to get the focus off of themselves, to get the focus off of right where they were at, and to look out at the community And there was a line of men coming from the city. And those Samaritans, they wore white hats. And Jesus was telling them, that's the harvest. And if you read the rest of the story, you'll know that Jesus and his disciples spent a few more days there. And the entire town was saved. Folks, if we'll just follow Jesus' advice and we'll look up, the fields are white to harvest. If we'll meet the people where they're at. If we'll have a conversation instead of an argument. You know, this week when you walked in, I, uh, I tried to make it easy for you. And um, you probably thought somebody was already sitting where you're at. But those, those, look at those postcards. Matter of fact, pick one up. There's one to your right and one to your left. This is the easiest way you can share. Matter of fact, that postcard's ready to go in the mail. The only thing it needs is an address to one of your friends and a post stamp. Write it down. You got more friends than that. Put, matter of fact, if I were you guys, if someone else doesn't grab the next card, grab it too. And as you walk out, there's a stack of them. If you got 5, 10, 12 friends, grab them, write their names down. For 55 cents, you can send them an invitation. And then call them and say, hey, did you get the card I sent you? They're like, no, I got one from this church. That was me. I sent, I put your name on there. Here's why. 82% of the people that you encounter in the community, if you'll go where they're at, are likely to come to church on Easter Sunday. 82%. But you know what? We've got to do a couple of things. Number one is we need to invite people. I'm proud of you, church. Last year at Easter, we had a phenomenal day. But less than six months later on Friday, we blew. 
we had 183 here on Easter Sunday. A couple months later for Friend Day, we had 223. Amen. Not Easter service, nothing fancy. It's because you invited your friends. You invited your relatives. You invited your associates. You invited your neighbors. And guess what? Your neighbors came. And it gets even easier on Easter Sunday. And so what I would tell you is take these cards, use them. But don't just count on the card. I'd call them and talk to them. I'd invite them. Not only would I invite them, but I would make it easy for them. I would assist them. If they need a ride, maybe you could even have an Easter um, lunch and invite your friends and family. Moms and dads, grandparents, Easter Sunday is a great day to put a little bit of leverage on them. Because I know a good church that they, it would be good for them to show up at. I know where they're going to find out about the first Easter. And they're going to find out in such a way that it's going to blow their mind. So I'll leave you with two questions. And two questions are very simple. Where do you need to go? And who do you need to reach? You know the names. They've already popped up in your mind. You know who you need to, you, you know who you need to have a conversation with. It might be a relative. It might be a friend. It might be somebody that you ran into and you hadn't seen in a while and the Lord put it on your heart to, to talk to them. And there's nothing easier than just talking to them about coming to church. Because Easter's coming. Everybody goes to church on Easter, right? That's all. Start the conversation with everybody goes to church on Easter. Where are you going? They won't have an answer. And you give them a solution. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but uh, our president asked us as a nation to, to pray for our country today. So I ask, would you stand to your feet? And, and I'm going to challenge us as a church to, as, as we sing this beautiful song about our city, to go to him in prayer. And I want you to, I'm, I'm challenging you to pray for two things. Number one is I want you to pray for your community. I want you to pray for the names that you thought of while I was challenging you with that card. And I want you to take their name to God and say, Susie, Johnny, and ask God to open up the doors. And don't be surprised when you run into them. Don't be surprised when they send you a text. Don't be surprised when they reach out to you. And God says, all right, ball's in your court. I want you to pray for them. And then I want you to pray for our country. I want you to pray for the world. Folks, this is nothing. God's got this. Matter of fact, there's more verses that say fear not than be afraid. It's going to be okay. We're going to, do, we're going to use wisdom. We're going to take good actions. We're going, we're going to respond in a wise fashion. But it's going to be okay. We're not going to be afraid. Because if, if I got that and I died from that, I know where I'm going. Reality is there's a lot of people in your community that don't know the answer to that question. They don't know. And if you don't have a conversation with them, they may never know. And so what I'm asking you as a church is to join me today at this altar. If you physically can get up here, I pray that you'll join me and pray for our community, those names that God's given you, and pray for our country, pray for our world. And what I'm going to pray for is that Jesus is glorified through this that this draws people to Jesus because hand sanitizer ain't going to fix the problem. Coughing in your elbow is not going to fix the problem. 
washing your hands, it's a good thing, do all those things, that's not going to fix the problem. The most important thing that any of us can answer the question to is, where will we spend eternity? That will solve the problem. Join me. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.